Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. Welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby. And uh, today um, I'm talking to Malte Ubel about the future of front end. Malte is a crazy German guy, I would say. Like he, he used to live in my hometown or close to my hometown, Hamburg, um, built a conference in Germany, the JSConf EU. Um, and I think he actually like learned coding or spent his first uh, career years um, in, in the agency world, then jumped to California and worked as principal engineer at Google, which is like a very rare thing. Uh, so uh, welcome, Malte. Um, was that all correct? That's, that's just about correct. Thanks for having me. Hi. Uh, so uh, you're also the father of AMP. Uh, like that's what you, what you worked at at Google, um, accelerated mobile pages. And, and now you work as a CTO for Vercel. Um, did I pronounce it correctly? This, this it's Vercel. Vercel. But that's okay. We don't, <laughs> okay. We, we're very flexible. <laughs> okay. So I would say like, um, this guy knows the front end world very well and all the trends. And I'm really happy to have him here. So maybe you can tell me a bit more about your personal journey. Like, how did you get into computing? Uh, when did you start and why? And, and, and yeah, how, how did that crazy, career path uh, work out um, from 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 Zina Schrader to, to Google? Yeah, okay. You, you want me to start very early. So I, I started, the, the way it's my career started, when I was 14 years old, I started in a in a tiny software company as, a, as an after-school job. And, and what they needed me to do was they made me do copying of floppy disk, which they would send to their customers. And literally like printing out of manuals and then kind of putting them into, into distributable shape and so forth. So that's what I was doing. And then this company, which was a very advanced te technology company, needed a website and nobody there knew how to do it. And so I kind of taught myself building websites and, and kind of started my first programming job um, back when I was maybe 16 or so, maybe 15. I don't, I don't quite remember. Uh, so that, that was, was the was earliest that, was stage. Was that the age? Was that the age of the marquee tech or center tech? It, it might have <laughs> even been before the marquee tech. <laughs> I think I was excited when it was released. It was just around the, that those years, yeah, 90, 94, 95, I'm aging myself. Okay, okay, great. And, and how did that progress then? Yeah, so I uh, I later switched to different after school job. Um, this was as a, a you know advertising agency, which is just opening their like web department. I was employee number two. Um, worked through with that company through college and after. Um, you know, this was a place that you know it was big, but like the the web department was maybe twenty five people when I left. I went went from there to Zinashrader, 
which I can't pronounce, but if I have my English uh, accent turned on, so people can mispronounce Vercel as well, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this is around the time when I started the JSConf EU conference in Berlin. And that definitely kind of increased my, my personal kind of connections around the world by, I mean, at least in order of magnitude, probably like two or three, which then kind of led to my job at Google, which actually was at, in, in Hamburg. So this is actually a funny story. Uh, so Google had decided that they wanted to do engineering stuff in, in Hamburg. And I saw that and immediately applied, got the job. I started on the Friday because one of the weird things Germans do is that they you start like on the first of the month instead of on Mondays. I don't know. It's a thing, right? You know, obviously, everyone listening to this knows this. So it happened to be a Friday. Um, I started there, kind of set up my computer because you don't start on Fridays at Google. Nobody like knew what to do with me, but I was like setting up things. I had my first ever, ever video conference with my team at 4 p.m. on that Friday. And the news they told us it was that they closed the engineering effort in Hamburg. <laughs> and so I was immediately out of a job. So, th so that's uh, what happened. And so I had to find a new role inside of Google. Uh, you know, at Google, you never, you don't get hired for a job. So, like, if your job goes away, you you find something else. Maybe that's not the case anymore, as of maybe earlier this year when they laid people off. But back in the day, that was definitely the case. So I found something new, and I worked on the the secret project Emerald C, which was the code name for Google Plus, actually. And that was a hot new thing. So because I got to like pick what I wanted to work on. I was obviously wanted to work on the most like exciting new greenfield project. And so I joined that team, worked remotely for them for a while until I could get my visa and then transfer it to the United States. And then had the idea for AMP or like? Oh, no, that, 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 was, that was much later, much, much later. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I worked in a very specialized role. So my, my, my team's job was to, to render Uh, buttons into web pages, the Google Plus One button. And from there, I pivoted into building JavaScript infrastructure for first Google Plus. And I built a web framework uh, called WIS, which was not open source, so no one knows it. And that became incredibly popular at Google. So like, basically, every single consumer-facing Google web application is, is using it. So that, that was my job for a while. Then we kind of expanded this to building front-end kind of serving infrastructure more broadly, which is also very successful. So most of the newer projects uh, are using that. And yeah, so the the, the AMP stuff kind of came out of this. So, but I you know, had a lot of experience with web technology and so kind of just felt um, it would be interesting to scale some of the things I've, I had been doing for Google to a much broader audience. So that means like most of your 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 biggest achievements are still running at Google and alive and kicking and and someone maintains uh, it and 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 it yeah yeah absolutely just so there's <laughs> there's a there's a there's a twenty person team maintaining the the front end framework probably something like that um, and no no this is absolutely the king and, and it's obviously like also I mean especially at Google but I think overall something to be proud of if you do something and then it goes into some kind of maintenance process. And, and survives over time. So there's a framework right um, that came out maybe uh, like late last year called Quick, and it actually actually very explicitly wants to be basically kind of a, a kind of open source friendly version that brings some of the ideas of of Wiz and combines them with the ideas of React and makes something pretty pretty nice and 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 um, worth trying for sure. 
What what are the fundamental ideas, or what what makes a difference? So the yeah, the fundamental idea was that you know if you have a lot of engineers, and in our case, Google Plus was like a thousand engineers, and they would write code all day, right? And if you write code, you make your app slower, like almost by definition. There's not no other way, and and you make it bigger. Like even if you don't make it slower, because everyone's a brilliant engineer, um, you know you add features, you, you make it. You make it um, you make it bigger, slower to load, etc. And so the insight was that even if you need all these features, any given user is only ever going to use a tiny subset of of those features in a given session. And so the way this framework works is that it only downloads the code for the features that you actually see in front of your face instead of every possible feature that could possibly be used. And so that's that's the that's the base idea. If you folks using like more, you know, pop, popular frameworks like like Next.js, for example, are familiar maybe with a term called route-based code splitting, where you say each route gets its own bundle, and so you lo load the code for that particular bundle. So that that's a that's a more rudimentary version of the same idea, but it doesn't scale if each if a route gets very 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 large, which which large apps tend to do. Because you really don't navigate around all that much. You like maybe you know like a Google Docs. It would be all like it's the editor, right? Like it's one route, and and so uh, it's a more fine grained fashion. Like in in many frameworks, you can kind of manually tune things. But the idea was that in in Wiz, that everything you would do would be automatically um, kind of lazy initialized by default, and it would be, and it would you know, but that would be combined with like a model of programming that. Isn't terrible because typically, if you make things like very lazy, very like kind of asynchronous, then things become very, very complicated. And so we figured out a way how to kind of make things fast, but also make it easy to use. Fast but not awkward. Okay, um, and and that was like at the time when when um, jQuery came out and so on. So it was quite early, I guess. Or it, no, this was around like you know 2012 ish, 13. Right, so like it was, mm -hmm. it was definitely much later than than jQuery, but jQuery was okay. was like still like very much state of the art. Uh, React right. came that out was around 2006 that time. or something, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely yeah. it had okay. <laughs> it had shown its years, for sure. Okay, okay, and and um, now you're working for Vercel, um, and you're the CTO. Like, are you still coding deeply? I mean, it it seems as if you are like really like deepen the stuff you do um at least from like yeah so like my my role is is a very flexible one and so the the way i work is that i usually pick out three four five projects that i join kind of try to make them more impactful more aligned with the strategy and maybe add an idea or two to to up-level them quite a bit, and then I, I leave the team again. And sometimes that involves coding. So I, there's a feature that I built with a team of like uh, three other engineers, um, like as because of the first thing that I did when I joined Vercel. And so there, I very much was deeply involved in the coding. And still, if I you know if I find a bug or if I want a feature, I go make it. But this is not like my 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 normal job. So in most teams, I I only very occasionally contribute code. Okay, um, and you, you you just mentioned that you also contribute to uh, contribute on the product side, um, which is a rare thing, I think, for 
like people coming from engineering um, or it depends on the company. Would you say um, this, this, this has to become, become more, more of a common nature um, that, that this happens? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. And it also, I mean, overall, I guess the, the way how do you organize a product work is something that is different in big tech versus like almost everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so, but I was obviously like kind of grew up within Google's product and engineering culture and, and, and certainly transferring that over to Russell. And, and in that culture, there, there's obviously the role of the product manager and there's the role of, or the engineering department with various different specializations inside of it. But I think once you reach a certain like degree of seniority, you you have you're responsible for the product. I mean, what are you gonna, what else are you going to do, right? Like you, mm. like it's it's not that someone else is making things up and then throwing it over the fence and it's only my job to implement it. Like that's, I I don't think that's actually a way how you can how you can be successful. Yeah, it's um, like there 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 are lots of debates about the roles of product management uh, versus engineering. Um, is it like orgs that run? side by side or um, is it like part of engineering or the other way around like what wh what do you think about that is it like just interdisciplinary teams ideally or how do you structure that ideally ideally right i think like what as in i think it's almost always the case that you want to if you have a function like product management which is by its definition smaller than its partner organization on the engineering side then you run into these issues where if you kind of map the structure of how you work into your reporting structure, that within that, you know, the, the, the PMs will be the odd ones out, right? Because most of their peers are engineers, the manager is probably an engineer and so forth, right? And so for, from that point of view, it makes sense to put these folks into their own dedicated organizations where they they can grow and, and have career paths very dedicated to their function. And but that, you know, doesn't mean that you can't work super close together. Right. And so I think you, you need to have a organization that's that's primarily like that has a like a reporting chain that's functional, but which has teams which effectively ignore this reporting structure mm -hmm. and you know execute. Work in a matrix. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess it's that's what you call it. But like, I think the matrix kind of, um, like, I think calling it a product team is actually easier, right? It's just a bunch yeah. of people, and they work on a product. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and then you know, and ideally they collaborate, right? Um, which, I mean, yeah, which, which <laughs> happens if they sit together, right? Um, I, I mean that, like, in the remote first world is maybe a bit bit harder, but uh, like, I think if you just like put smart people in a room together, then that automatically happens. At a yeah, I think that, I mean, the, what you want is that any person on that, on this team that works on a product, first and foremost, sees themselves as someone working on that product. Like, it doesn't matter, like, if that's the primacy, right, like, that's what you do, then I think it comes natural that the reporting chain is kind of the secondary thing, you know, where you go get your performance rating and where your manager tells you, you know, how much money you're making, but otherwise they're like not important, right? Like they are, they are just this person managing you and, but they might have a role on your product, right? Like they might be the lead of the product, in which case, of course you're actually working with them, right? But it comes from the, uh, from the product side of the organization. It does not come from, 
from the um from the, the from the hierarchy mm -hmm. um maybe like little step back uh maybe like a few folks here don't know what your company is doing can you like maybe like just do a little elevator pitch here for us yeah no no problem at all so the way to think about Vercel is as the one-stop shop to develop and host your web application, website, web app, doesn't matter. It, you know, the, the term that I've been kind of throwing around in my head lately is kind of the way to think about it is as a, as a front-end cloud. So like it's the place where that has all the services. It does your monitoring. It does your your static hosting, it does your, your dynamic workloads, um, but it also supports your development process. Um, I think one of the, the magical things about Vercel is that if you've ever worked with any cloud provider, like they have all these primitives and you have to learn them and they're slightly different and you have to orchestrate them, all this stuff. The, the promise of Vercel is you're, you have a, you're a developer, you're building a Next, Remix, Swell, Nux, you know, whatever application, and it works on your machine and we're going to take that thing that works on your machine. We're going to put it onto our system and it's still going to work. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to know where cell exists, but everything is kind of globally deployed on the edge and so, and so forth. The other important part is the kind of the workflow around how you develop. So the, the, you know, the modern development happens largely on GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, like providers like this. And the unit of work is the, the pull request. And so what Rosal does that every time you, you push a pull request, we will give you a URL that's the version of your production website, but um, with a new code. So you can test it out, send it to your colleague, et cetera. And finally, the last thing, and I'm mentioning this primarily because I was saying there was this one product that I actually worked on myself. So if uh, you know, folks are, for example, familiar with Figma, where you send someone like a design and they can like collaborate on it and can comment on it and so forth. Or you send them a Google Doc and people leave feedback there. So the preview, what we call preview deployments, what you get every time a developer makes a change, is a collaborative surface like a Figma file. So people can leave comments, they can make copy edits, all this kind of stuff that you, know, you want to do when you have a new version of something. You want to tell people, hey, you know, this is great. Or here, you know, maybe this needs to be a little bit bigger or I found a bug. And you can do that in the context of what you're doing versus taking screenshots, posting them to Slack, opening issues. Like that's all kind of very, very old way of working. And so we're kind of bringing this like modern collaborative workflow into the end-to-end -end workflow for, for building web applications. So the Figma of front-end apps. <laughs> yeah. Plus. In the, you know, <laughs> except that we like literally also then go ship it to production. And if you have a billion users, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to... Yeah, yeah. Like, Which is better than Figma, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially like the the good old idea of of having previews, right? Which which uh, I don't know in the Rails world back then, like Heroku did initially through like PRs generating a preview for um, for for each of your your branches and so on, and maybe like in your case, it's even like for each commit stuff like that, um, right? Which, like from my perspective, is often something where people underestimate the effect right uh, like like developers underestimate the effect and I, I see so many companies um and they are unfortunately I I, I I I am very close to a few ones that that don't have that right um which who don't have previews who don't 
who can't share like early stage uh, early stage work uh, that that engineers did. Right. I mean, it, it's the way to think about it is exactly like like in the old age of like uh, Microsoft Word or also like Photoshop. Right. There would be this file, and you can collaborate on it, but not at the same time. It's a similar word, like, I have a staging environment, and now it's mine. No, it's mine. And like you, you waste so much time um, over you know, the process that's the modern way where, yeah, I mean, there is effectively infinite resources. Why would you not you know, make, make a new thing every single time? So if we talk about the future of front-end, then maybe this is the future of front-end? Or <laughs> what would you say? I mean, where, 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 where would it lead you like, with yourself? So in a way, it's it's almost table stakes, right? So I think the the on the on the collaboration side, what we what we're trying to do is kind of make everyone more productive, right? And, and getting more out of the engineering resources are often the most scarce resource that any given company has, and so that's certainly a big part. There are, and I can go into arbitrary levels of depth if you if you would like. Um, very exciting developments on the. On the framework side, so like the the way people build application is changing, and it's and and it's changing for the better. That's another big part of ourselves. So we are, we're investing a lot in into web framework development, and so we're not only like basically taking whatever people give us, but but also make development better. Which is which is next then, right? Uh, next JS. Yeah. So or? the the, our, the framework we're building and kind of part of the founding of the company was next JS. We also. For example, have the folks working on Svelte and SwellKit employed at Vercel and and but uh, you know basically doing broad investments across the space. Okay, and and uh, like a bit more in detail, what what can we expect there? So I think one of the you know I was I was talking earlier about how uh, one of the benefits of of the framework I built at Google was that you would have this property where things that people Aren't using, aren't actually uh, taking up uh, compute resources on the on the client, etc. And so, I think one of the the most fascinating developments that are kind of emerging as we speak is is a technology called React Server Components, which kind of takes away the the property of React, which was that whenever you loaded an application, even if it was server rendered, basically the client would say, "I'm going to render this again. I'm going to diff it against what the server sent me," and and then I'm going to boot up, right? And so the problem with that model is that while you, if you have server side rendering, you get a very quick visual response, but it's not actually interactive yet. So the app has to boot, and for that, the entire document has to has to load. You have to load, load JavaScript and you have to run it, which um, takes up resources on the client. And so with server components, for for those components that actually have no interactivity, they are free from a client perspective, and so you you don't pay the cost. In, in any way. And so that's similar to the framework I built at, at Google. What's very exciting about this is that I think it's a reality that, that again, programmer resources are scarce. People have to ship. They don't want to do things, even if they're like marginally better for UX, that make it, you know, take make it take longer to ship. And so the 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 benefit of, of these developments are that they really fit into the model of how people program. In a way where it's just not more work, it's just faster, and so that's always that's always a good property. But isn't like since since we all see 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 ChatGPT being around, um, 
isn't it already time for a next abstraction layer and us just writing specs for web apps or just i don't know painting forms and <laughs> just just seeing the the final result being built by 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 other technology what do you think so, about that <laughs> no yeah i think i mean obviously this is i i i i think about this a lot and i you know it's I mean, it's also an area that we that we're definitely investing in ourselves overall but this is also like part part of the answer is like I call this a, a Cambrian explosion of startups that are happening right now in the AI space. And they're all on Vercel. Obviously, they're not all on Vercel, but like so many. Like every day, uh, we're seeing like new uh, startups spinning up on, on Vercel. And what they all do is that they build some kind of front end for some kind of machine learning AI system. And, and so it's certainly for the time being, the the actual UIs that people build, they're they're handcrafted and and you know they are automating some task which obviously the AI, the AI overtakes. And and so I don't I don't see that changing anytime soon. I do think that for example the design phase is going to be heavily uh, supported by by AI. So like we, we're seeing this already that you know that the mock generation phase can be prompt driven and it's pretty obvious that that works well like i mean it's very it's not that different of a task from like more generic image generation and so i think we'll we'll definitely see support but there isn't really anything even on the horizon that takes away the the task of of you know making a good interactive application. And then you obviously also still have to run it, right? So since that's also our business, um, we don't care quite as much whether you use ChatGPT to write the code. But I don't, I, you know, I, I think it's um, for, for the foreseeable future, it'll make pro, like the developers more productive in helping them. But the, the fundamental um, kind of method of, of developing isn't going to change that much. Okay. Yeah, I'm 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 really curious how how, how this will look like. Um, like I mean, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Like for for no, me, it's no, like it, no, positive. it won't be a bad thing. It'll be amazing, right? Like we we, it's all these tasks that you have to do, but don't really want to do. Like write me tests, and it goes write your yeah. tests. Like that's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Stepping back a little to like the the, the front end world, um, like I, I sometimes I'm I'm sometimes I'm a, I'm an old Rails guy, so I'm sometimes a bit conservative um, and 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 want, want to provoke a bit. So um, I, I sometimes just think like, why do I need all all of this? Like, why do I need SPAs? Why why do I need like server side rendering as like an additional layer in so many so many um, uh, apps I see? Um, and then like, yeah, you can debate a lot about monolith versus microservice and so on. And, um, wh wh why, why do you think like the state needs to be, or do you think the state needs to be in the browser? Like, do I have like something I get as like a benefit? Um, if I, let's say, take my WordPress blog, um, and render a front end in, in Gatsby, like just as an example. Yeah, I mean, since you're saying you, you, you're a Rails guy, Rails 
at least it originally only supported server rendering, right? So yeah, it's, yeah, but like in a, in a classical in a classical way, yeah. Um, and and now like it turned into like rendering APIs essentially um, in in so right. many cases. So yeah, I think I mean it's one of the th important things about Vercel is that like we are all about like dynamic web applications and like so this pattern in which is still popular and kind of but came kind of derived out of a technical limitation is is where you have these applications which are basically JavaScript files um, that call APIs, right? And and that's easy to deploy if you because you need to deploy your your APIs somewhere anywhere, and you have you know basically just a static front end server. But that really tr that pattern ve like very much traded user experience for technical sim simplicity. And so kind of our mission is to give you something that doesn't make the, the UX compromises that's inherent with that technology where like things load very slowly. You have this like, it almost looks a little bit like a flash player with like a pre-load pre sequence. And so, but you, but you get something that's easy to program as that model, but has no trade-offs for the user, right? And so, you know, I think like all of these things are, are trade-offs and they, you can't say, you know, there's no one size fits all solutions. Like it's a different, uh, like the answer is different whether you build something for your primary like e-commerce audience or you're building something for the tool that your employees use to book their vacations, right? In the latter case, absolutely, if yeah. you might have different UX requirements, right? And so I think it's important to to tailor things to the to those requirements. Absolutely, uh, I, I I just. I, I'm just um, maybe skeptical looking at the fact that so many people out there um, it, it just don't take that in account um, and, and just take the tool because they think it's it's cool, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> and I mean, um, I think if you're very productive, like I, I think it's like the best thing is to to look at your productivity and 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 how how can you deliver like wh when do you produce like the best outcome? But I think that's also like in Modern teams uh, sometimes something I yeah I I don't see being reflected. Um. Yeah, I mean I think I you know there's also like if you look at the personal decision making I I would also say that it's you know certainly something that you see and I also think it's, it's something you can understand is that people say not only which technology is the best tool for this particular project but also which technology do I want to learn is most marketable right gets me my next job. Maybe I'm working on the on the vacation booking tool, but I really want to build the 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 primary front end, right? And so I, I use something slightly over-engineered to build the skills. You know, this is a, certainly something that happens. Like people don't always make rational choices in the that are perfect for you know for the given situation in, in isolation. Um it's so all what do you what would you say are the, the 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 strengths and weaknesses um, of of modern front end stacks? Um, and yeah, I mean, you you already answered like why you you wouldn't take like Laravel to build to build your app in most cases, um, but but you you favor the front end side. Um, yeah, I mean Laravel that's a, that's a front end framework, right? It's fine, good, use it if that's what you need. Yeah, in a way, right? It, it right. just like uses different. I should I should clarify when I say front end, right? What I mean is, yeah. um, between one and 
one million servers running your application, right? And and every and and the client, but not the stuff behind those servers, right? Like so, there's like you know, maybe two three layers depending on how complex you are. That's the front end, right? And you know, further back. These are these are relative terms. At Google, we always said everyone's a front end engineer, except the people working on Big Table, because they're building the database and everyone everything else is just a Big Table front end, right? And so 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 these are these are very ambiguous terms. So when I I'm using it, I'm definitely meaning like the 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 serving infrastructure that that communicates directly to users. Um, what, what would you say, like, um, I, I see many teams like writing stuff in different languages. Um, how do you see that? Um, like productivity wise, um, having this, this, this split in between, um, functions and like front end versus backend, essentially, like you already clarified that a bit <laughs> yep. with a Google perspective, right? Um, how do you see that? Yeah, I think. You like so if I'm the let's say I'm the principal engineers of a uh, engineer of a team, the thing I would most care about is that the number of languages is small, right? So it's it's I would say like if I have a if my if my overall team is just ten people, then there is no argument that it can only be exactly one, right? Like you cannot have two two languages in a in a in a in a ten person team. But let's say you have a hundred or a thousand engineer team. And I think the, the the number could be two or three, but not more, right? So I think it's 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 the and you know it's actually interesting how we, how we do it at Vercel. So we basically we um, we write our front end apps in in TypeScript, and there, there's no exceptions. We write our serving infrastructure in Go. We write actually our you know, non-critical pass backend logic in TypeScript, and rewrite our developer tooling in Rust. So that's that's stuff that runs on 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 the on the developer works uh, workstation or laptop themselves. And so these are all very different trade-offs, right? Like the like the, on when we do build developer tools, they have to be as fast as possible, and so Rust is a good choice, right? But Rust is not a good choice to build a serving system because, like. I mean, at least if you're a serving system building company, because we build so many features, like you want a productive language, and so Go is much better. It's but it's also fast, right? It was made exactly for this task, and so I think that's a that's a good choice. And then we kind of fall back to TypeScript as our default language. But so I think that's so we had four, um, which I think is definitely the absolute max. And 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 but we also have very like strict rules around when you apply which. If if teams you know have have more languages or they 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 you know don't have clear rules around when you use which for example where if they have bad rules like team A uses this and team B uses that then that's just bad and and it's a leadership problem to fix it but also like again like it's it's um because rust is kind of very much on the side right yeah. um it's basically there's a there's a team right and go and then everyone else uh, well, there's a, there's a group writing Go building the the serving system, and and everyone else basically writes TypeScript. From from my perspective, it's also like absolutely okay um, as as long as one is not on the critical path for the other, right? Um, like if you're waiting for someone, like let's say you're building like a traditional web app in a ten ten people team, and you you're just waiting for uh, let's say the Rails guy to implement your um, GraphQL API um, as as a front end engineer. It, it just doesn't make sense, right? Exactly, for sure. 
So then maybe that's that's a good rule of thumb. Um, what is like right now um, your influence as CTO um, at, at Versal? Like you 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 basically influence like all pieces of the application or um i mean you essentially already told us that you that you like jump into different teams uh, every once in a while right. like what is what is the the, the stuff that inter interests you most so i definitely don't put my own interests first so this is entirely based on what's most impactful for the company and also yeah, like obviously. you know we're still a startup right so i also ran our step you know yearly strategy planning And I, I kind of, you know, obviously review the, the the roadmaps that across all teams and so forth, right? So that's 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 another big part. So I think like the way I think about the role is it, it's both a technical and a product leadership. So whatever, um, in the end, kind of deciding what is being built is 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 something I do for sure. Thanks a lot. Um, and what is like? Um... I don't know if you can 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 actually disclose that. What 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 are like the next big building blocks for you personally um, in in your in your in your journey there? Yeah, so I, I mean, I I obviously can't disclose our future product roadmap, but I <laughs> I can talk about it maybe in, in in somewhat abstract terms and also kind of around my 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 personal thesis around uh, kind of the direction that that software engineering should go in. So. I think one of my personal insights, and, and you can say if I'm right or wrong, but what I've seen is that the, the way how big tech is operating their applications, that their consumer-facing applications, is very scientific and, and very effective. Like They're very good at measuring whether improvements are positive or not. It's a very, very professionalized, very scientific workflow. And so my experience is that even if you go from these like $100 billion revenue companies down to the you know billion, $10 billion revenue companies, that there's a huge gap in the fidelity with how people operate their, their web front ends. And, and basically, I want to close that gap. I want to, I want to give everyone, whether they make a billion dollar revenue or, you know, just a few million in their in their web store. I want to give them the tools that are as effective as the ones that that Google has, and and want to make them able to 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 run their business in the same effective fashion. And so that's what we're going to do. Okay. Um. And and your thesis on how software engineering should be is that what you want to do, or? <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, we there's a few insights that that. That we're gonna um, bring to market for sure, but I, I think like the, I think as a as a good example is, I've seen like everyone's doing A/B tests, but it's so common that people are not able to actually measure the impact of their change, um, even if you know what I've seen at Google. So literally, so my team, you know, we didn't mention this, but I, I was running Google search on desktop. So my team would run experiments. We would have maybe like 20 at a time, right? 25 to 50% of experiments um, had issues in, in the setup that are very, very subtle. 
And so, and I think this is extraordinarily common. So what, what happens is you, you run an A-B test and your, your result is positive or negative. So I think if, you, if it's negative, people go dig deeper, why? But if it's positive, it's very common to say, yes, okay, go, let's launch it, right? But, but again, like in almost half of the cases, there was actually a mistake made that's very subtle in how the experiment was set up that had a bigger effect than what you were actually measuring. And so, so people have to learn how to, how to kind of overcome this confirmation bias where just because the result is good doesn't mean it's actually good. The other thing is it might actually be bad, but then organizations have to be mature enough to actually overcome the sunk cost fallacy where it's like, you know, you, you just worked six months on a feature has negative metrics. What do you do, right? Uh, I think my thesis is that today most companies are going to ship it anyway. Mm. Like they're going to find a way to, to lie about the results. It's the same problem as what you what you see in in kind of scientific papers where people do p hacking and things like that, right? Like you you can you can make the numbers do what you want, right? And so it's a, it's an application like it's a maturity thing for a company to to be able to make decisions uh, in a in a way that's that that actually makes makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you were also asking about like like the future or like the the like changes in software development. Like one of the things that I actually worked on as well was solving the problem at Google that, in my particular case, but you can actually generalize this very broadly. You know, you would have these hundreds of engineers and they would write front end code, but they they weren't experts, right? And so um, it was very difficult to to scale. You know anything really because like how do you like do you want to teach them no like do you want to review all their copa experts that's like very much of a bottleneck right like so you we had to find out something and so we uh, we found a way based on the insight that engineers are very used to fix compile errors basically that was very effective at scaling you know, software engineering knowledge. And so that's another, I think, interesting piece that, that um, we're looking at bringing to market. Cool. Um, what would you say are your three biggest learnings at Google? I mean, it, I, I was there for, for 11 years, right? So I, I learned almost everything I know <laughs> from, from, from Google, right? Like, um, like leading Google search, was a very humbling and crazy learning experience, right? So, um, and in particular, actually, desktop was interesting because Google had not invested much in its desktop experience for years. And so we didn't even have metrics for, for shipping features that were working well um, at, at the time when I joined the team. Um, this was because basically all the metrics to assume that what's on the screen is what you pay attention to, which on a phone, that's probably true, right? Um, but on a, on, a, on a laptop, it's not true. Like you can see five search results, and we have no idea which one you um, you found most interesting, right? And so, like, so because no one cared, like this was we had to kind of start from scratch, learn how to operate uh, this like multi-billion user daily active product, <laughs> and and that was very very interesting because I was like, I mean, as we've talked about, I, I'm like an infrastructure person, right? Like so. I don't. I I had never run a consumer product, so that was very interesting, and um, and I learned a lot. Right, I learned um, a lot about metric design, about how to validate metrics, 
there's a lot of proprietary things I, I can't disclose from from Google, but it's 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 very fascinating how how well it understands user behavior, for example. So that's a big deal. Like I think I mean the I obviously you know I working at Google was the first time I was dealing with you know building infrastructure for teams that were the number of active you know like daily active software engineers like in the company was in the thousands. And it definitely teaches you a lot about like what kind of changes are are effective versus uh, what doesn't work. Um, and but also then you know I think it, you can always bring it down to to something that that that's applicable for smaller teams because because obviously these thousands of people don't all work on the same stuff. Um, yeah, and uh, you know I I certainly learn how to scale web applications like at like to to a very very large scale and and. You know, that's that's also still what I'm working on. So it's very useful knowledge. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and if you could give like a, a, a like a few recommendations to to our listeners, how to manage front end better uh, and maybe the infrastructure better. I mean, obviously, move to Vercel, right? Exactly, it's the first thing, and <laughs> some some more potentially. Yeah, I. First of all, yes, everyone should should move to Vercel. I think we talked about the 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 preview deployment workflow. I think it's 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 not something you cannot have, right? Like it, the the impact on on productivity is immense. Uh, we like I was talking about the the commenting feature, which actually has much more impact than you would think, right? It, it kind of you think it. It maybe uh, substitutes for a Jira ticket or like a Slack message or so forth, but what really what we really see what happens is that people uh, note things which are which otherwise they would just not have bothered to ever say is a problem, right? And that's actually very important in in polishing applications to like a to 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 a state that's actually. You know, I think we think at least at Vercel, very important. Like things are like actually really, really good. And so getting that last mile um, together is something that's that's very difficult with like kind of the, the legacy process. And then maybe finally, I think you know, very actionable advice. I think what 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 is a well known thing in the market is people are kind of chasing the the, the next hotness. And are constantly f swapping out their infrastructure, and that's almost certainly a bad idea, right? Like it's it, there. Nothing happened in the last five years that was sufficiently big of a change that it would be worth a migration, right? Like that's going to take you a month or two, even if you think you can do it in a day, and and it's just going to destroy productivity in a way that that it will not gain gain you back. Yeah, many teams just do that, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you can you can spend your entire career doing this. It's it's Replay it's a fun job, a right? It does not. Yeah. yeah. You know, in in non dysfunctional companies, it does not get you promoted. <laughs> so um, I still have as an outro question, like a little surprise for you. Uh, your your CEO uh, Guillermo actually told me about a, a hidden feature. In Next.js, um, it, it's actually a yarn task um, that is 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 called Time Machine, and what it does is a, like very descriptive name, right? Um, it lets you travel back in time 
Um, and uh, you can then like choose your character and travel back in time. We do that now. We choose you as a character in the year 2008 when you just started working as a technical director for Sinnerschrader. And we, we now observe Malte for, for a little while, like still coding a lot, um, like helping build up the company, build up the agency. And you now have the chance to whisper something into a young Malte's ears. What would it be? Very interesting question. I, I mean, isn't the answer always by Google stock and et cetera? Potentially, right? if you're, if you're was, into stocks, was, yeah, or Bitcoin or whatever, yeah. Bitcoin, uh, probably the, even better, right? It's it, we, We're just coming out of the financial crisis. So that was definitely an interesting time. You know, this is like... Those were the days, right? Like it was a really interesting time. I was at Sinashrada. I was working primarily on on demandware projects, which is like a system that's called uh, Salesforce Commerce Cloud now. And you know, I think uh, it was back in the day. It was Rhino based, which was a very early service like JavaScript technology, and that was amazing. Like I, I don't actually, I don't want to change anything about it. And then just after that, you know, I started my conference. Went to Google. I don't like. I, there's actually very little I want to change about um, how these things happened, um, except maybe buying Imagine. more Bitcoin <laughs> and Google stock, obviously, and 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 sell it now, please. <laughs> no, last fall. Uh, I guess uh, 20, 2021. Sell it last fall. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So, uh, Malta, thanks a lot for being my guest here. Like, uh, lots of interesting. Input. Um, happy to 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 have you again soon, hopefully, uh, and or maybe meet you in Hamburg. I don't know if you're around every once in a while. Um, yeah, I, I'm coming every year. Okay, yeah. Then, Even through uh, the pandemic, it was always, it was very interesting travel stories happening there for sure. Can't imagine. Yeah, then let's do that. Um, have a great day, uh, and hope to see you soon. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the AlphaList podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. AlphaList is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on AlphaList, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.